When we're young, we move with freedom and confidence, with a great resilience to injury. But somewhere along the line, we develop poor habits and become more vulnerable to back pain. Back Pain Solutions features evidence-based and practical advice to help you take back control of your health and get back to the activities you love. This is your guide to better back health through movement. So join us as we demystify some of the commonly held beliefs about back pain and build your confidence to a stronger back the smart way. Hello, welcome back to the Back Pain Solutions podcast with me, Ben James, and it's me alone today. I'm doing a solo show and I'm discussing the topic of lumbar spinal stenosis. We had a query come through from a client over in the US who had recently read about this condition online and associated some of those symptoms, some of their symptoms with their own condition. So I thought it would be a good opportunity to do an episode focused on this particular topic. So we'll discuss what is lumbar stenosis and uh, what are some of the classic symptoms and of course discuss some of the treatment options available for those suffering from this condition or for those people listening that may think they might have this condition whether that's from listening to this episode or from doing their own research because in the age of google and other search engines we're always uh, finding that people are doing their own research online which is in some ways very good but also it can be a bit of a concern for some people as well what they read and uh, and the fears that they generate as a result so let's dive in and discuss first of all what spinal stenosis is well spinal stenosis is generally defined as a degenerative condition in which there are diminished spaces available within the spinal canal or spinal foramen for the neural or vascular elements or indeed both in the lumbar spine and that in itself can lead to different and various symptoms which we'll discuss now importantly lumbar spinal stenosis is associated with substantial functional limitation of walking disability and other increased concerns risks such as falling for example and we know that falling can result in hip fracture that in itself can result in increased risk of mortality which seems pretty drastic but you know it really is a concern and it's important to recognize this condition because there's a lot that can be done to support these patients or patients suffering from this condition symptoms of this condition so that we can help them to retain their independence and quality of life ultimately so let's be proactive let's take a preventative approach to this condition and so if you're suffering or you think you could be suffering early symptoms, then seek out advice because there are things that we can do and there's certainly conservative management that should be considered uh, for patients suffering from this condition. And as clinicians, we should be taking a proactive approach with all our elderly patients as they could really benefit from support advice to help keep them active. And this condition is one that can benefit from care. So I guess the big question is what? What's causing the narrowing itself? You know, why do we get a narrowing within the spinal canal or in the spinal foramen? And firstly, I guess we should acknowledge that some people are born with a smaller spinal canal or smaller uh, spinal foramen. And that is just an anatomical thing. We're all different. We're all individuals. And some people are born with smaller spaces. It's as simple as that. So they are more susceptible. Uh, And in some cases where there is uh, there are the, there are those congenital narrowing then it can be diagnosed as uh, congenital stenosis however spinal canal narrowing is most often due to age related changes that take place 
over time has all has already been indicated and this is essentially called acquired spinal stenosis and is most common in people over the age of 50 years generally 50 60 years of age uh, but over the years of, of 50 at the general uh, age of the population that get this condition and experience symptoms with this condition and without going into too much detail in this episode acquired forms of lumbar spinal stenosis can be further subclassified as degenerative spondylolisthetic so that's to say one of the vertebrae has slipped forward on another which can occur for a number of reasons uh, iatrogenic which is post-medical treatment examination and usually post-surgical in this case post-traumatic uh, is most likely, or it can be a combination of the above. So it doesn't have to be one single cause. For example, someone with uh, a historical spondylolisthesis, they might not have even known they've got such a, a condition, such a slippage of one vertebra on another, but that in itself could lead to degenerative changes as a result of that specific issue. And that in itself could cause the stenosis so this degenerative changes that occur as a result of the other condition result in symptoms of spinal stenosis so as i say it might not be that there are any symptoms experienced of that initial injury or underlying problem but it's the degeneration caused by that that leads to spinal stenosis so it can be a combination of of things that cause this condition and the symptoms that result so what is causing, I guess, the narrowing specifically then? So degeneration itself doesn't just cause a narrowing. There has to be something that occurs as a result of that. And, you know, something ultimately starts getting in the way effectively. Uh, and ultimately, it's anatomy that gets in the way. And if we think about the spine, there are a number of tissues that can get in the way. Degeneration can result in the formation of bony spurs which could reduce canal size. Ligaments that run throughout the spine can hypertrophy, so they get bigger, which can reduce canal size. And intervertebral discs can degenerate and protrude backwards, reducing spinal canal size. Uh, we can also get facet hypertrophy. So the small joints at the back of the spine that, that form between two adjacent vertebra, they can increase in size. And uh, often at the level of those facet joints is where we see the narrowing and the problems occurring with spinal stenosis or spinal canal stenosis. And that is often uh, one of the locations, the level of, of those facet joints. And ultimately, uh, some tissue is getting in the way, which is causing the problem and resulting in symptoms. And people suffering from this condition classically experience some pain and or other symptoms. So often during prolonged walking, standing, uh, and also with back extension. So when we're, when we're leaning backwards, and that's because when we lean backwards, the ligaments themselves can kind of um, bunch up, for want of a better term, and that in itself, that bunching causes a reduction in the space. And so leaning backwards is often an aggravating factor, and that's why we're often looking as clinicians at those patients that are Kind of stooped forward, bending forward, and elderly at the same time, because that can be an indicative sign of of this condition. Because people are bending forwards to try and alleviate those symptoms, and it's when we're walking for longer periods that there's a neurogenic claudication. So the nerves are becoming compressed, 
and that's impacting their ability to function effectively and that impacts the the muscles in the legs can cause weakness in the legs and that's why people often will have to stop start during walking or they certainly notice the symptoms more during prolonged walking and you might see people kind of rest up or they might find that they rest up and put a bit of pressure lean on a wall or some such and uh, or a park bench something like that and get a little bit of um, relief from those symptoms so people uh, as I say classically get pain and other symptoms neurologic symptoms can also occur and one classic um, condition as I've alluded to is neurogenic claudication that's a cramping feeling and pain in the legs and usually is bilateral Uh, and that's another important kind of feature and distinguishing feature and again always got to be as clinicians ruling things in ruling things out if it's bilateral uh, elderly patient then we're more suspicious of spinal stenosis whereas unilaterally younger patient then we might be thinking more of radiculopathy a, a nerve root that's irritated maybe by a lumbar herniated disc and that's causing a single nerve root specifically um, to be aggravated. And in uh, neurogenic claudication with spinal stenosis, it's often more widespread weakness in in both legs rather than specific to a, a nerve root, which is again something that, as a clinician, would be would be focused on. And if you're an individual suffering symptoms and you get more of a widespread weakness or discomfort in the legs, then again, you know, this could be more of an indicative. A factor of uh, spinal stenosis rather than anything else. Um, with with spinal stenosis and this kind of neurogenic claudication, we've always got to rule out any vascular claudication. Peripheral arterial disease in in patients can lead to similar symptoms, but generally, people with spinal stenosis won't experience symptoms at night in bed. Whereas if you're suffering from peripheral arterial disease and similar cramping and symptoms in the legs, then often you will get pain or discomfort at night when you're lying in bed. So again, another factor that's uh, worth considering as part of this uh, clinical diagnosis and the journey that we go down with the history taking and examination to try and elicit or recreate symptoms and rule in and rule out other conditions. So patients can suffer other symptoms. So numbness, Tingling is also common in the legs. Numbness and tingling usually experienced, as I say, throughout the legs, not specific to one nerve root, as you'd expect from uh, a nerve root irritation, a radiculopathy, as we call it. And radiculopathy, as I say, being uh, irritation of the one nerve root or a single nerve root generally exiting the spine. Many patients experience weakness in the legs uh, with spinal stenosis generally, and walking upstairs is often easier than walking downstairs because when you walk upstairs you're generally leaning forward whereas when you're walking downstairs you're generally leaning a little bit further backwards so again other distinguishing features of this condition which are often elicited as part of the history taking examination but something just to consider if you think you might be suffering from this condition or if you're experiencing symptoms such as these so weakness in the legs often uh, a, a significant finding or a, a symptom that people relay. Ultimately, diagnosis is made based on patient history and physical examination. And in some cases, medical imaging can be performed to confirm the diagnosis. The first 
clinical diagnosis of lumbar spinal stenosis and exclusion of other competing conditions, um, the history and medical history of the patient should be questioned first of all, really. Um, examination, sorry, further investigation may confirm findings, uh, history and examination. But it's important to mention that a lot of patients or a lot of individuals that don't experience symptoms can be shown to have narrowing or signs of spinal stenosis on uh, radiological imagery. So it's not perfect in terms of its accuracy. Uh, So further imaging, as quite often is the case, can be supportive of a good diagnosis and uh, examination, a good examination and history, should I say, um, but not necessarily uh, perfect for, as a go-to to make that diagnosis. And I think that's important to mention. And the therapist will likely check for pain or symptoms specifically when you hyperextend. So we're going to try and recreate that those symptoms by getting you to bend backwards, which is often a, an aggravating factor. And they should, if they're doing a good job, check for normal neurological function. So I'll test sensation, muscle strength, and the reflexes in both the arms and the legs, because we always want to check is is the stenosis actually lumbar and in the lower back, or is it higher up? Because it can occur in the neck as well. Um, posture is often a giveaway, as I say, because p- patients will lean forward to help themselves alleviate symptoms. And other things as well that should be considered are balance tests, uh, likely we be performed and Other tests, such as a bicycle stress test, can also be used. So in this test, what we're doing is getting a patient to pedal on a cycle uh, machine in the upright position. So what we're trying to do is preserve the the neutral spine, keep the spine upright, and time, how long it takes before symptoms occur. Then what we'll do is we'll get the patient to lean forwards or bend forwards and do the the same exercise. And this time we'll time it again and see what the difference is. And often the time in the second uh, test is longer because leaning forwards is alleviating those symptoms generally. So ultimately, examination is important. Those additional tests are important because, like I mentioned, evidence demonstrates that radiology x-ray isn't perfect. And in fact, it's around 30% of asymptomatic individuals have evidence of canal narrowing so clearly x-ray alone or other investigations aren't aren't ideal so bicycle stress tests and other examinations should be considered as part of this um, diagnosis of this condition so some classic signs symptoms and some generally accepted tests and procedures to try and determine identify this condition and when it comes to treatment um, the first thing to note is that neurological symptoms uh, if present which which often they can be are rarely progressive so it's not a condition where we see a gradual decline generally and so on that basis we really should be trying to be conservative in our approach and uh, that should be the first option to manage this condition. But sadly, a lot of patients diagnosed with lumbar spinal stenosis often receive early surgical treatment. And research demonstrates that this is this is indeed the case. But given the complications that can arise from surgery, and especially in in 
more elderly patients, it does make sense, in my opinion, to try a conservative approach first of all. And uh, research demonstrates that physical therapy is associated with reduced likelihood of surgery within within a year, which is positive. So even if surgery is ultimately required, then perhaps we can extend the amount of time um, prior to that need. And that's got to be a good thing in terms of maintaining quality of life and independence because of of the risks of surgery. And that's not to say to kind of scaremonger around surgery because it is an option, but let's let's consider it as an option further down the the pathway uh, or the the journey shall we say of this condition so in terms of conservative treatment what what are the options well you know we mentioned about leaning forward and alleviating symptoms well flexion based exercise programs therefore uh, could be considered so exercises that do involve you kind of bending forward uh, more regularly can help alleviate symptoms and there are other treatments that that can be done such as flexion distraction so special benches often you'll see them in chiropractic clinics osteopathic clinics and and no doubt in physiotherapy uh, settings as well where uh, the bench kind of moves up and down and you can introduce flexion into into the lower back so that can be also be considered but certainly flexion-based exercise programs and exercise physical therapy-based approaches are hugely beneficial because we can help improve strength and endurance generally. And that's got to be an overall benefit to a patient, whether it truly ultimately alleviates any symptoms and, and prevents the need for surgery or not. Because if someone needs surgery and they've done exercise prior to it, they're going to be in much better shape afterwards. So Definitely flexion-based exercise programs, manual therapy, as I say, things like flexion, distraction, manipulation can help with this condition, help to manage this condition. Stretching programs as well and uh, static and dynamic postural exercises, these kind of things can all be beneficial. Um, but a graded rehabilitation approach is, is makes sense and focusing on improving uh, ambulation and shows improvements in pain scores. So. A lot of things that can be considered and other things such as stabilization exercise of the abdominals and the back muscles, because if we're helping to keep that back in better shape through better posture and better endurance, then that can prevent any micro movements in the low back that may be contributing to this condition. So there are a lot of things that can be done conservatively to to manage patients with this condition. Other things such as aerobic exercise, cycling exercises, so that you are introducing aerobic exercise, leaning forwards, hugely beneficial for a lot of patients. And there are, in fact, as well, some supporting kind of, um, I don't want to call it a brace, but corset type um, uh, products that can help to distract that spine a little bit that have also shown to, to be beneficial in some cases. But We'd always try and strengthen muscles and not rely on something like that specifically. But hey, if it's an option and needs to be considered, then at least it's something that that is there as part of this uh, this treatment plan potentially for you as an individual. This condition might just help. So hopefully that's given a bit of an idea about what the this condition is and how it can be treated. It's, as I say, it's a condition where the spinal canal, the central canal where the spinal cord runs, or 
the the lumbar vertebral foramen are narrowed and if the narrowing is substantial then it can cause compression if it causes compression it can cause symptoms and those symptoms can be problematic so typically as i say they're aggravated by walking and they're relieved by rest in classic cases um, but interventions are available um, relief of symptoms can be experienced with conservative treatment and patient education and support uh, so non-operative treatment can help but surgery has been shown over longer periods of time to also um, provide some significant and positive results so let's go conservative first let's consider surgery as a last resort let's get patients active let's get patients independent back up on their feet and uh, help them manage this condition because uh, hey it can be achieved and hopefully if you're listening and you're experiencing those symptoms or you've had the diagnosis of this condition or you're concerned you might have this condition then there's hope that uh, it can be managed effectively and it has been shown to be successful so get in touch if you've got any questions reach out always happy to answer any questions and as always we ask you to head on over to the itunes website give us a review give us a rating it helps to get the message out share the show with others and hopefully help more people to improve their back health and get back to the activities they love so as always thanks for listening and we'll catch you again soon on the next show